Welcome to the Urban Income Show, where we speak with minority CEOs, CMOs, CTOs, founders, and other executives to learn about their strategies for success. I'm your host, Lavalcha Chester, CEO of Growth Skills and Urban Income. And today's episode features Andy Day. Andy is the Chief Marketing Officer at Meta Analytics and leads the go-to-market strategy, planning, and execution globally with a focus on customer value and impact. Prior to joining Meta Analytics, Andy has held strategy, marketing product, and general management leadership roles at SAP Health Science, GE Healthcare, Tableau, um, Alterx, and Alterx, where he helped grow their healthcare and life science businesses um, by 300 to 600%. Andy is passionate about healthcare innovation and runs a popular healthcare blog that is read in 47 countries. He has been featured in numerous healthcare publications as well as the Washington Post, and he's on the Forbes Council. Um, Andy is actually a true Renaissance man. There's a lot of people who claim that, but I looked up your photography and it's, it's fantastic. So Andy, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you so very much. I truly appreciate that warm and generous introduction. Yeah, no, um, it, it's it's I you know in in doing my research about you and and your 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 lifestyle and management style, I think you're from us like having been a CMO and and the way you're executing and the way you're just thinking about it, especially with your thought leadership. I think it's really spot on and really really refreshing. But in your own words, how would you introduce yourself to people? Yeah, so thank you. Uh, I'm the Chief Marketing Officer of Medi Analytics, which is headquartered in uh, Richardson, Texas, and it's a private equity-owned uh, SaaS analytics and artificial intelligence vendor delivering software solutions for healthcare payers and providers. Our mission is to deliver measurable value to our customers because at the end of the day, that is the only thing that matters. And if you have not delivered measurable value, you've probably wasted time and money, right? Uh, I've worked in strategy and leadership and product management roles uh, at very large industry leaders like SAP, which has been the largest enterprise software company in the world, G Healthcare, Tableau and Alteryx, which are the fastest growing companies in the analytics business. And I'm very fortunate to have earned recognition as a thought leader and influencer uh, in healthcare and life sciences. Yeah, that's incredible. And where were you born? What's your background? What's I was born in, in Kolkata, uh, India, which is also known as the city of joy, where Mother Teresa comes from. Uh, but I'm, you know, have lived in North America for the last 30 years. I'm fortunate to have dual citizenship of both the U.S. and Canada. And uh, I've studied three master's degrees from three countries. So I speak five languages, including wow. English and French. It, it's fortunate, right, when you're born in a country with 23 languages and 300 dialects. So you barely get by with five. <laughs> <laughs> Only five. <laughs> if you think about it that way. <laughs> that, that's amazing. And, um, and tell us a little bit about your journey and, your, your, and, and how you got to where you are right now as, as the CMO. You know, uh, absolutely. It's, 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 been, it's, been a, it's been an interesting journey. Uh, it's been a journey of a first-generation immigrant to this country, right, who comes from a very different land, uh, looks different, has a different accent from mainstream America. So uh, my strategy was literally to be better than the best, right? Uh, earn, earn three master's degrees on scholarships from, from three countries, 
I have credentials from four Ivy League schools, Harvard, MIT, Kellogg, and the Richard Ivy School of Business, which is called the Harvard of Canada. I, I continuously educate myself and, and keep up, right? I just completed a course on artificial intelligence in healthcare from, uh, from MIT. And just aspire to be the best, be extremely well-informed. It helps. I think it's a gift that I am I'm very strategic. I look at what everyone else has looked at and see what very few people have seen, which is key to articulating via my thought leadership. So that makes me different. So be be ahead, be hungry, never stop, you know, doing, never stop learning and always give your, give up your best, which, which exceeds people's expectations. I think as a, as a, as, as, as every minor, minority person seeking to get ahead, uh, that's, that's, that's a good mantra, right? Because the fact of the matter is I've faced discrimination, I've faced name calling, and I did not allow that. That was obviously very disappointing. Uh, it, it gets you down at the moment, but you, you just rise up and, you know, I say, I'll, I'll just keep doing, I'll be, I'll be better than the best at, to the point where no one, no one can do that to you. And that, that has worked me, worked, worked for me well, for which I'm grateful. Absolutely. I think that's a really incredible point because a lot of that stuff is not, is not on you at all. Exactly. You know, whatever, whatever insecurities, whoever's is, is, is casting those things onto you. And a lot of the time they're insecure because they know you're, you're, you're the best. You know what I mean? Exactly. They feel threatened. So, so I think that's a really good point for the listeners. Like it, it, if they call you a word or anything like that, or or try and you know stereotype you, don't let that. Don't internalize exactly. that. Don't be. Just keep it moving. Do your job. And um. And I think the other key point is and this is what I tell a lot of people. They'll never be able to take away your skills, right? Exactly. Like, exactly. Your ability to keep learning and, and all of that, and 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 have those credentials. Like you can lose a job for whatever reason, but you will always have those skills. So you will basically always be in demand. At what age did you, did you come? So I first came to this country when I was about 23 years old. I just finished my bachelor's degree and came here to earn my, the first of my three master's degrees in engineering from the university of Florida. Then I went back uh, to, to India, ran a business with my dad, realized it was not a great idea having a boss at the dinner table. So <laughs> ran away, got my master's international MBA from Israel, immigrated to Canada because I knew the green card process in the U.S. was really difficult. So earned the Canadian citizenship as as almost you know insurance, if you will, in the process. And uh, you know here here I am, right? So it's like keep hustling, keep striving, never let anyone you know get you down. And and I think here's candidly here's the other thing that has helped for which I have to give due credit, right? I think people from the country I come from India have done extremely well, right? We are we are the most educated, the most qualified and successful ethnic minority group, right? With the CEOs of Microsoft and and, and Google and you know Adobe and countless other companies. So I think uh, I think that has helped. It has helped drive the brand perception of people that look like me. And I think it has paved the way. It has opened up doors. It has broken through the glass glass ceiling. Where people that look like me are making it to the you know to the C-suite, right? Uh, and then what is interesting is because of my experience in Israel, it's it's in many ways it's the Jewish model that the Hindus from India have actually emulated, right? Is work hard, give your kids the best education possible, and then wait for you know, the magic to happen. Yeah, I, I just thought that was an interesting anecdote. That would be. <laughs> no, but that's amazing. So, yeah. did you? You know, and I know you're very strategic. Did you have a plan to be CMO? Because I 
my dream job was CMO. And then I got the job and I was like, no, thank you. <laughs> Once I got it, I was like, oh, this is great. But it's not what I thought it would be. But uh, so what was the, was your dream job, CMO? Yes, yes, it is. CMO, um, Chief Strategy Officer, Chief Strategy and Marketing Officer. I straddle all of that. And fortunately, I'm actually doing a Chief Strategy and Marketing Officer's role at Medi Analytics, right? Uh, so yes, because I think strategy and marketing go hand in hand. Um, and, and given my background, I was I, I love again seeing the forest from the trees, right? Understanding where the puck is going, and when you understand where the puck is going, positioning and messaging your product, differentiating yourself against the competition, not based on where you are today, but to where the puck is going, makes all the difference between success and failure, right? So that's my my approach and paradigm. I think that's incredible, and I really like that you are very hands on. Um, I was on the I was on your website and um, and let's talk about what you think the CMO CMO ML is role their role is now into the future to be successful because I when I go on the site I see you I see you're interviewing people at Hims I see you and what I really like about the, the what you were doing at Hims is you're getting those case studies you're getting clients on video talking about like like you said like value exactly. Yeah. They're spitting it out and you're not even forcing them. And they're telling all these really intricate stories that if anyone had that same problem and they're compete, comparing you against the, the competitor and saying you're better. So you don't even have to do the job. You put you just put the you put the, them on stage, basically, and, and ask and prompt them with the right question. And it's really good to see, you know. So, so truth be told, uh, that's not entirely the story, right? We literally, I have, I have a team. I have a value engineering team of, of one and my, myself, right? I like to think, I jokingly tell people value is my middle name because, <laughs> because at the end of the day, that's what it's all about, right? You are expecting someone to invest millions of dollars, but if it doesn't deliver, if it doesn't solve that challenge, the stuff that's keeping them awake at night, it's, it's, it's a waste of time and money, right? So we literally work with these clients to, do the value discovery. We I actually have a value engineer, if you will. So we do the value discovery. We understand what are the pain points. How did the customer specifically address them with our solutions? What is the impact? And then in addition to the impact, which is value to their organization, what was the ROI, right? In terms of NPV, IRR, uh, just core ROI, payback, et cetera. So when you prep the customers with that level of detail, right? Uh, on behalf okay. of that, Rock solid business case, you know. No, but that, that but that's magic also, that happens. No, but that's also that's also like a level of mastery that's important. But for, yes. for me, or just I'm just Joe Schmo, considering your product. You know, let's say I'm a potential client. That's yeah. really good to see because you have done your job, and it looks very seamless because we don't we don't know any of that, right? So that's that's even better because <laughs> you've or yeah you've orchestrated your success and that and that's, that's thank you very awesome. much. Since you you talked about those interviews, it was it was very gratifying for me to see not only did those interviews get incredible traction on LinkedIn mm-hmm. uh, from customers, prospects, partners, and all of that. I actually have former colleagues of mine who are now CMOs in other companies. Yeah, emulating it. Copy you for sure. And 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 I think that's you know that's that's really important. It's funny. It's like uh, 
we're about to launch a, you know, I run a, we run a growth marketing firm called, called Growth Skills. And, um, and historically, I don't know why, but like, and one, the tip of our spear is like search engine optimization. We will get you the rank for a keyword on the first page, page of Google. And that's a promise that we, we give to our customers. And we're, we're running a campaign that says ranking in public. Uh, we're doing a campaign. One week we have a podcast ranking in public where we show how we do it with, with, um, with, uh, like pr for pro bono for some really good organizations. But we do, um, we're running a, a campaign. That says growth skills made them rank. And we're doing the same thing. We're just showing the work. We're saying, if you search for this keyword, we made them rank. That's it. And, and, and you know, the, that's the result that, that the clients are looking for. So it's a very similar thing. And just even when we talk about our case studies, people are like, that, that's incredible. Like, I get, the, I get texts from random people like, oh, I saw that case study. Great job. That, that sort of thing. So, and you're, and you're on it because you're, all you're doing is showing the value. So, so an interesting thing in the healthcare industry is, as you can imagine, it's about the business of saving lives, right? So people tend to be conservative, right? So in healthcare, you can't go to a you know pharma, med devices, diagnostic payer or provider and show them, hey, we are doing we're doing amazing things with Walmart and Cisco and and you know uh, some other company that is not relevant. They want to understand what is the value that you've delivered to peers from their industry, right? Because at the end of the day, it's a pretty serious business. It's the business of saving lives, right? And millions of lives are at stake. Absolutely. So I think I jumped in and, and, and went back and forth with you on the question. Just give us two things um, that you think a CMO needs to be successful. So if anyone is trying to get to that position and listening, like what are the two top two things you think? I, I think the, the first thing is um, be very strategic, understand inflection points, right? In the industry, where is the puck moving to? A great instance right now is generative AI, large language models. What is the impact of that on the industry landscape, on the technology landscape as a whole, but specific to your industry segment, right? And then uh, how do you position the company and your products based on the unique value proposition you provide to your customers, right? Again, amplified through voice of the customer, you know, testimonials, case studies, et cetera, that differentiates you against what your competitors deliver. Uh, there are obviously, there's a lot, lot, lot of things to do, but I think if you do those two really well, you will stand head and shoulders above, above everyone else. Amazing. And let's just get into AI. What do you think AI is, is, is going to do to healthcare and how do you, how do you plan on, on leveraging it? Right? Absolutely. That's, a, that's a, it's very close to my heart, right? It's something I, I write extensively about. So I think, you know, AI and analytics uh, today, people still talk about them as two different things. My first hypothesis is they're all coming together. AI and analytics are merging into one, right? So what was, when he talked about analytics, it was typically descriptive. So it's back of the rear view mirror kind of analytics and AI really enables predictive and prescriptive analytics. So here's what is likely to happen and based on if this happens, here are three op options with implications. Now that is still out there. That has not happened, right? So from a healthcare perspective, based on the data set you feed it, right? Exactly, exactly. Right. Data set, how well the models are trained, all kinds mm -hmm. of things, right? Uh, again, just to contextualize artificial intelligence, it means a lot of things. Having done two courses from MIT, my understanding is it's machine learning, 
natural language processing, deep learning, now, of course, generative AI, and also something that people don't talk about, which is robotics. And, and medical robotics is, is an amazing area that I've written up extensively about, right? In the context of COVID, for instance, uh, everything from virtually engaging patients, right? From the way they engage with you when they set up an admission to the way diagnosis is done, right? We are telehealth and telemedicine, right? Which went up over 5,000%, right? To looking at a radiologist, looking at 10,000 Im images and then having machine learning spot, right? The three or five cardiological cardiology patients, if you will, who are at most of risk of heart failure and heart attack, right? So that's escalated then, right? Versus a radiologist having to manually look at 10,000 images, right? Huge automation. I think the biggest usage, there's obviously a lot of concern and there should be around generative AI being let loose. But I think things like just machine learning, natural language processing lend themselves very well to automation, right? How do you take complex data from the chart and make it very simply available as a text message at the patient bedside, right? Um, how, so, so, so there are amazing, amazing applications of that. So in the wake of the pandemic, rather than depend on the government to identify it, how do you create an artificial intelligence-based system within each healthcare that will detect an epidemic or a pandemic way before it happens, right? And then drive all of the events in, in motion. So, uh, you, you know, fraud, waste, and abuse, a big one, right? There are, you know, millions of claims that are filed, and there's unfortunately a lot of fraudulent activity that happens, right? With machine learning, with trained models, you can, you know, automatically spot the ones which look, which are potentially nefarious, right? Or are you know, malified and then, so, which again, saves billions of dollars. So I think, you know, automation that enhances the productivity of clinicians, nurses, caregivers, it drives predictive analytics at the hands of the executives for them to make what I call decisions at the speed of business, right? And then also with generative AI, right? Just very rich uh, notes, which makes it easy to lower search costs for clinicians, doctors, for the patient. I think in a nutshell, I think those are three areas where we likely we're likely to see benefits. Again, with the caveat that especially the generative AI bit has to be governed, right? And oversight's got to be provided to ensure that it doesn't become, you know, the Wild West, right? <laughs> in, in, in there. Hopefully I answered your question there. Yeah, you did. And on just on that note, you know, I know we both know Christy LaRusso. Um, I was I worked with her. Uh, she's the CMO of Kaiser. Search engines are a big part of her business. So how she does acquisitions. And I used to run all of that for her at a prior agency. And do you see like one from your business, our search engines, do clients search for words and find you? Two, with Google, Google's rolling, um, it's called SGE, their search experience. Yeah. Do you see that as a potential healthcare uh, problem? Because all they're basically doing is finding articles and spinning up answers faster that might be, you know, when you look at what happened with ChatGPT, some of that stuff is just wrong. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, Two-prong, so does it serve your business? And from a general healthcare standpoint, do you see like what Google's potentially dangerous? Absolutely. So I think the first answer is yes, right? I mean, uh, a search is, is really where it starts. And again, 
from a marketing perspective, you have very advanced artificial and intelligent tools like uh, account-based marketing, right? Which can now track your target customer from the time he enters a keyword in Google to that entire life cycle of engagement. So there's some very sophisticated technology there, which I'm personally very excited about. We are, we are deploying that. Uh, there, there's obviously chat bots, et cetera, right? Which engage in very intelligent ways with, with, with customers can drive the first level of engagement and then in real time connect them with a, in, in, you know, inside sales or a salesperson to drive the engagement. Uh, and, and, and the second part of your question is, yes, I think we are still in the early stages of generative AI, large language models. So there's a garbage in, garbage out issue, right, which is obviously significant. But if, if I think it's called hallucinations, right, if those hallucinations, AI hallucinations, et cetera, are managed, well, I think I can easily see a, a day where, like I said, rather than be greeted with, you know, 20, you know, 20 links, you are greeted with a nice text response that provides you with a coherent response to your your question, be it if you're a business or a patient or a consumer, right? Which I think takes us forward, not backward, as long as we can manage the you know hallucinations and the and the data gar- the garbage data problem. Absolutely. So, are there? I would love to know how you helped brands through COVID because I think you are, you know, you are probably huge in in that. Um, and um, what are you most proud of that you've done in the last three years? It doesn't have to just be at work. I think, I think what we're also trying to strike a balance on on this show is that and to let people know that health is important. So don't work exactly. yourself to death. I love your hobbies too, like your photographies. And I love that you have like you're projected where you want to go. You've got like on the on the photography side, and I think that's just good for your well being. So, just what are you most proud of in the, in the last three years? And then just t- touch on how you you know basically save lives, probably with exactly. With COVID. So, so I think I think working with healthcare organization, helping them. I was at at Alteryx and and Tableau right before I came to Media Analytics and drove six hundred percent growth at Tableau. You know. 200% growth at Alteryx in, in one year, literally helping healthcare organizations do all of that, right? deal with those problems, uh, you know, health scheduling, you know, dealing with the surge, driving capacity to, you know, do elective procedures. But I wrote an article, which I want to talk about, right? You, we've all seen the great resignation that happened and it still is a challenge, right? Physician burnout, nurses literally, you know, confronting, uh, con- confronting belligerent, patients and all of that, uh, there were execs, right? Senior execs who came out and started questioning what they were doing and they just resigned and all of that. So I talk, talked about this. It's again a Forbes Council article. It's called In the Wake of the Great Resignation. How do you find your ikigai? So there's this notion, the Japanese have a beautiful, beautiful, the French call it raison d'etre. What's your reason to be, right? Uh, the, I mean, in, in, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a Hindu mystique. For us, it's called the soul's agenda, okay? But for, for the Japanese, they have this beautiful concept of ikigai, which is what are you born, what, what is a true north, right? What are you born to, to do that aligns with your passion, it aligns with your skill sets, and it, it helps you make a living, but at the same time, it is beyond the square footage of the house and the car you drive. It's a higher purpose that you deliver to. And I, I'm, I'm very fortunate because of early adversity, I had to confront all of that. And I think I have a clear roadmap 
which is why I work in healthcare. I discovered my heart purpose was helping patients like me uh, lead better lives, right? Via to the use of technology, strategy, innovation, et cetera. So that was my ikigai. I delivered my ikigai. And so my life is, is, is wonderful because I live a life with a higher purpose. It's far bigger than who I am, uh, my material possessions, but it's, it's this higher purpose that keeps me going, going every day. No, that's important. some travel blogging thrown in, in, in there and some DJing and all the other fun stuff that I do. <laughs> oh, that's cool. And I, I think for everyone listening, I th- as you as you grow in your career and, and you acquire what other whatever the, the material things that you have on your hit list, um, just know that there that desire to always want more um, can be sort of a trap. So yes. the guy is sort of aligning with your purpose so that as you go through your career, you're you're yeah. doing what you want, you're driven. It really never feels like work, basically. Yeah. And um and exactly. you're you're sort of embracing that all the way through versus like, you know, I've had so I've hit some walls where I'm like, what are you know, stress, you know, tickets told and all those things. And I think I finally, you know, learned about that, even though like I've done, I've done martial arts for ever. And it's very much the the sort of, the sort of craft and understanding a craft and that type of thing is very much like that part of it. But you're not consciously, uh, if you're not consciously aware of a concept like Ikigai and and using it for your entire life, you know, um, you're not benefiting from it really. So I think that was a very important Point. Yeah, and I'll just quickly add to that, you know, coming from Hinduism, right, in India, Hinduism is the oldest religion in the world, the notion of contentment, the notion of working for a higher purpose without really looking for material rewards is kind of the philosophy I've grown up on, right? So uh, Ikigai, again, is, which is also Asian, right, was was very obvious, you know, for, for me, because that's kind of the philosophy, that's kind of the upbringing that my parents have, have raised me on as I was growing up as a kid in India. So the fact that there's no end to, you know, material beneficence or greed, but you have to find contentment because once you find that higher purpose, that material beneficence or the need for more houses, more cars, more this and more that kind of recedes, you know, to the background. If you Absolutely. How would you, what advice would you give to like, getting that type of mentality or, or, or process or thought like woven into an organization. Yeah. I, th- I think that it's, 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 it's striking a balance. I mean, I've, I've, you know, two MBAs, right. I obviously work in an American capitalistic environment. So I think from an organization perspective, embracing those best practices that an MBA teaches you is great. Right. But from a personal perspective, you have to grow spiritually and mystically. Right. And so embracing any form of Eastern philosophy, like Hinduism, like Buddhism, like Confucianism, right? Like Zen, uh, I think helps you strike that balance where you learn not to be, as you're creating wealth, as you're creating shareholder value, uh, don't, don't, don't be overcome by the greed, right? Don't be overcome by avarice or the need for endless more because from there comes unhappiness, pain, you're burning yourself out. Your your health takes your relationships are broken. The implications are extremely significant, right? So it's more is not always better, right? Find the balance in terms of what makes you know comfortable lifestyle for you and your family, a comfortable retirement, 
you know, pursuit, pursuit of hobbies that make you happy, but also spiritual growth, right? And pursuit of the divine in whichever, by whatever name you choose to call, call, call divinity and, and ensuring that you're, you have a, I like to think of it as a spiritual roadmap. I have a career roadmap. I also have a spiritual roadmap in terms of how do I grow spiritually as I progress, you know, on my career. And I think that it, it helps you increase your, in, you know, EQ, right? With your IQ, you, you, you see significant, you know, improvements in your EQ, which again becomes a contributor to your, to your success. Absolutely. That's amazing. Let's switch gears. Um, let's talk about money, right? Because this is the Earth in- Income Show. Um, what do you wish you did with your, your money sooner? Absolutely. So I think I, I, you know, the Asian mentality that we all grow up on, right, whether it is India, China, Japan, Korea, etc., is debt is bad, right? So I think first, my first principle is save as much as you can, right? Number two, don't live beyond your means. Don't borrow money beyond your means, right? Because it doesn't go away. It comes to haunt you. Uh, so if you, if you save enough, if you manage your debt well as a function of how much you make, what your net worth is, uh, a great example is if, if your, your net worth is $500,000, you're not going and splurging on a $150,000 car, right? So, so, so just basic stuff like that. Uh, understand, you know, don't try to manage your invest. Once you get beyond a certain point, if you have a, you know, if you have an engaging, demanding day job like I do, get the advices of a professional investment advisor, right? Who can show you, I mean, that portfolio is amazing. That instruments and everything else is no way someone like me can, you know, keep abreast of what is happening, right? With a day job like mine. So getting an investment advisor who can show you, uh, you know, all of the, Parts, the portfolios, etc., I think becomes key, right? And then just be fiscally responsible. Uh, don't leave, don't li- live beyond your means. I mean, uh, you know, find contentment, right? If you have three houses, house number four and five is not going to buy you more happiness, right? So, so I think striking that balance from a life perspective, getting help. Don't try to do it all on your own, right? If you are, if you are a marketing professional or you're a product professional, that doesn't automatically make you a great investment 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 uh, expert, right? So like everything else, take the reach out, find good investment advisors who can advise, who can craft a strategy, uh, get the right balanced portfolio for you and then help you maintain and grow, right? And, and, and create your wealth. Absolutely. And I think one thing I, I want to add to that specifically is that there are a lot of, and I have a lot of my background in like like working for fintech companies, there's this buy now pay later thing. Like you'll see it everywhere, and like and in, and it's in some places. You'd be like, why would you need to buy now pay later on this? So but that that is debt. That, that's all it is. It's it's a um it's and I think what what Andy is saying. If you think if you have a principle. That says, and this is why I, I, principles and spirituality all I think go hand in hand. If you have a, a principle of I won't keep debt, I won't have debt, then you'll be less tempted to do that buy now, pay later because you're standing for something. And it's the old adage if you don't stand for something, you're going to fall for anything. You're going to do the buy now, pay later because you don't have the cash right now, but you want the thing. So instant gratification, you're going to buy it. But what's going to happen is that's called debt. 
And if you do that more and more and more, you could fall into the trap where you're, you know, you're over your head. And then an emergency happens where you actually need money. Then you have to take out a loan or something because you already owe these guys that you buy now, pay later. And that becomes a real problem, right? So just... That is great wisdom. And I, I'll, I'll give you my back of the envelope principle is mm-hmm. buying your house and your car, you should not buy now, pay later for anything else. Right. If you can't pay for it then, then you probably can't afford it, right? Right. It, again, understand want from need. Mm-hmm. And, but I think you, you absolutely see mounting debt and living beyond your means will always come back to haunt you. So borrowing your house and your car, which is your more, uh, your biggest ticket items, you shouldn't buy now, pay later, anything else. Right. In my no, that, that's absolutely <laughs> important. And that doesn't mean, and, and this is different from buy now, pay later, that doesn't mean that there is a strategy where you have a credit card, you want points, you swipe that card, even though you have the cash, you swipe exactly. that card, you get those points. Absolutely. You pay it right away. That is not the same thing. So exactly, that's, that that's exactly how I live. Right, right. Earn right, the right. points, but pay off your card in full. Right. Yeah, exactly. That is the most expensive short-term debt, which makes absolutely no economic sense. Yeah. No, that's that's brilliant. Um, what and and we you know we talk we talked about saving money because that's that's important. But on the come up, I I personally think, especially when you look at all the tech layoffs, everything that's happening. I think that at certain levels, you should always have a side hustle. So in your life, what what types of side jobs, side hustles that, that you have? I'll be candid. I haven't done uh, a whole lot of that because I've had demanding jobs. And again, my side ha- hustle was, as a minority person, it was educating myself, yeah, staying yeah. abreast, right? But that, that's so also make... important. That's very yeah, important. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you said that because... Right. That is that is important, and that exactly your full exactly. commitment. That's not like a that's not like an easy thing. Yeah. And while you might not be earning money, you are yeah. earning knowledge, which which gonna which basically increases your value, right? And your competitive advantage, right? You are exactly. you look at five people who are vying for the same job. The fact that I have those qualifications, the fact that I have the thought leadership, yeah. means I stand head and shoulders above my peers, right? So that is really important. Yeah, I think that's really important for everyone listening because, you know, if you have your goal of learning and you're learning something and all your friends got side hustles, ignore them. Just do your do your thing, gain those skills because that is, that is going to be be incredibly incredibly valuable. So I, yeah. I, re- I actually really love that. And, and I'll, just um, add, I'll just add a little comment around the first is the only constant is change, right? So you have to stay abreast and almost be proactive, you know, preempt the change, number one. Number two, the good news is if you are if you are a valued employee, most companies will pay for that education. So in my case, I've gone to MIT and Harvard and, and, and Kellogg's for executive education, which is fairly expensive. But because I was a top talent employee, my employers had no problems funding that education. So... Which is which is something you you, know, you can really avail of. Most companies, most large employers, will invest in their most valuable employees, and and so that's something because at the end of the day you're bringing that knowledge back to the company. So you should always explore. Hey, I I need to learn. This is there's value obviously for my company. I grow as a person, and the cherry on the top is that your employer is willing to invest in 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 that education. What can be better than that? 
That's amazing. Um, can you tell everyone what the, the name of your blog? And then I want to I know I want to know like how does that help you in your career? Oh, absolutely. So I used to have my blog is healthsciencestrategy.com. So and here's 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 a tip that I think will really help you. The key today, especially in this in this in this age where where there are so many layoffs and everything happening is everyone of hundreds of thousands of millions of your, of your peers have a resume and have a LinkedIn profile. So how do you stand out? Okay? So my strategy was I will have the thought leadership showing off my prowess as a visionary, as an industry expert, as someone who knows where the puck is moving, uh, the use cases, right, that are enabled by generative AI and the latest technologies that none of my peers are even thinking about. How is the role of marketing being impacted by generative AI? How is the role of the chief marketing officer? So I used to have a separate blog and then realized that given that LinkedIn is where everyone goes, Mm -hmm. I brought my LinkedIn has a very LinkedIn has some pretty sophisticated blogging yeah, capabilities. Pulse, right? Pulse, yeah, yeah. It's like write your blog on Pulse. So anyone comes to your LinkedIn profile, if you go to mine, you'll see there it actually allows a hyperlink into mm -hmm. into a, a web page, and I, I hyperlink into my Pulse blog blogging page, right? So boom, you come looking for me. There's no way you can you know miss my thought leadership page, right. and, and I instantly differentiate myself against every other CMO across any industry, but definitely in healthcare and life sciences. No, I, I think it, I think it's incredible. And just from, you know, me coming up as a search engine optimization person, um, I've always had sites. That's how I learned. I was self-taught. So, and I've, I've destroyed sites in, in, lear in learning what to do and testing and all of that. And it made me incredibly skillful. And because of that, I, that's one of the reasons I made at ages 40 on the 40 list years ago, because I had this, this really deep, I was like, like Italian craftsman of shoes that like, that's what I could do. Awesome. You know, yeah. so, but, and then as, as when I got to a leadership position, I would tell all my team was like, you need to have a blog. You need to, no one listens to me. <laughs> it's just like, like it, it just makes sense. And, and, and I would position it exactly how you position it to me, where it's like, everyone has a resume. Everyone has, has a LinkedIn profile. Something like a blog will set you apart when you're, when you're really, um, when you're really going for that job and, and differentiating yourself. And, um, and now we teach that in our growth skills program and, and they're like, we have a protege program and at the end of it, they're forced to build their own website so that they could go through the struggle of learning it, but they will have their program. So I think, it, no, that's, that's, it's really, really incredible that we have that. Um, and, and that and, advice. And if you get published, right. If you get published in multiple healthcare journals, like I have, Imagine the magic it does for your personal SEO, right? You for Google sure. your name and your LinkedIn profile comes up, your websites come up and this plethora of publications, right? That yeah. have published you. It's magic, right? From your you know what it is, dude? It's, it's like um, you're, you're able to like cultivate your reputation preceding you. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like, that's exactly. what it really is. If, if, exactly. and, and that's everything. It's not even just your day job. Yeah. It's yeah. Like anyone looking, looking up, like let's say you want to go speak at a conference, they're going to, they're going to Google you. They're going to search. And once they see, Oh, okay. Got the LinkedIn page, of course. Then they see, Oh wow. He's on Forbes council. Oh wow. He wrote for this. And da, 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 da. 
that's a whole other level. And then they're like, okay, this is definitely we're gonna we're gonna pick him to speak. And this is like, you know, maybe you're in your career where you're well networked and and you don't have to use your resume to get your next job because of your network, right? You want to speak. What's the next level? You want to be on the boards. You want to. They're going to Google you, and if and if you have those things in line, like Andy mentioned, you're going to set yourself up for for the best chance to be able to um to get that board seat, to get that um to to get that speaking gig. Um, that's awesome. What um what's the nicest thing someone has ever done for you? Yeah, I think the nicest thing is at a, at a, you know on one side I spoke about the discrimination, the name calling. At the same token, they've been incredible mentors, right? Who, despite not knowing me, right? Someone that looked different from them had had a interesting accent, right? Born by my education across four countries, you can't clearly you know place where my accent comes from. But they were they were so kind, right? They were so kind. They would take time off to explain where healthcare is. I mean, this is when I when I was making a transition into healthcare with very little experience, right? And there are people who are unkind and they said, what do you know about healthcare in the U.S.? You're a foreigner, right? You're never going to succeed. And there are people who said, of course not, right? You have your passions. I'll give you an example. Uh, Harvard, you know, holds, holds this conference on uh, personalized medicine, right? Which is all about how do you offer exactly the treatment to every patient who is unique by virtue of his genomic profile and everything else. So uh, I went to attend that you know, conference for the first time and wrote my blog post on my learnings, right? Naively, I was hearing about all this for the first time and then just published it on my blog and sent a link to the organizer of the conference. And he said, wow, this is better than the professional writers we bring to write the conference. Why don't you come and write the blog, write the oversight summary for the next year and we'll actually pay you to do it. I mean, how kind was that, right? It gave me the confidence. It, you know, it launched my thought leadership, you know, in, in initiatives and gave me the chutzpah, the confidence to be able to do that. And so, you know, kind people, you know, people who are who are who are really amazing, who have attained greatness, right? Who don't need to do it, but they offer you mentorship. They offer you their kindness. Uh, is is something I'm like extremely grateful for. That's that's very cool. Yeah, and and I think one thing that I loved in that that was in there too is like you took it upon yourself to write it and publish it, and yes. and, and so your willingness to work is really what really what set that that apart. But I think exactly you I have think, to go the extra mile. There are no shortcuts, right? Absolutely. And especially again, if you're a minority person, you have to go the extra mile. Absolutely. You get, you I, to, get to a point where no one can question why you are at the table or why you are in the room, right? So Absolutely. And I, I think the other thing there is we did talk about um the negative side of of like, yeah, they're gonna say stuff, but I think if you're paying attention, and the reason I like to ask that question about and about um what's the nicest thing that someone has ever done for you, it's like you you reflect on gratitude. And as you're going through your life and you know if people are saying stuff to you and, and you have those microaggressions, there are also other people who are doing incredible things for you, especially in, in my experience as well, right? So if you focus on those people and those experiences and nurturing those re uh, relationships and forgiving, you know, the, the other ones, because who knows what's going on in their lives, you'll be all right, you know, moving forward. 
but um, always be thankful for for people who helped you. And I think it's important, you know, you pay that forward, right? Um, because I think there will always be some sort. There will always be a struggle, um, and so helping helping the next generation um, from a mentorship standpoint, I think, is really really incredible. Um, if if there is one um, person, uh, another minority in the senior leadership role who you think would, would drop some gems on, on our audience, who would that be? And would you introduce them to us? Absolutely. I, I, I'm thinking of Dr. Geeta Nair, uh, who until recently was the chief medical officer at Salesforce. Uh, okay. she's, a, she's a trained doctor. Is uh, an MBA, right? And he is mm-hmm. amazingly visible for, uh, for, for you know, one of the top women minority leaders in healthcare. She's appeared on CNN. She's appeared on every major journal. She's on a, you know, on, on the roster of multiple speaker bureaus, is a highly coveted speaker. So mm-hmm. uh, she's very charismatic. So I'd be, I'd be more than happy to introduce you to her. That would be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That would be amazing. I, I, I would love that. I, I could only imagine. <laughs> she's a very um, compelling speaker and, you know, she's very personable and charismatic. So I think it would be, and, and she's, she's an incredible success story, right? We absolutely fits the profile that you're looking for. Perfect. I appreciate that. Um, is there, what would you, one, any last bit of advice you would give to your younger self? Absolutely. Work extremely hard, study hard, and in, in, to quote, uh, you know, you know, elders, you know, stay hungry and never, ever stop learning or hustling mm-hmm. until you get to your des- destination and you meet your aspirations. Yeah. I think, I think. Steve Jobs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think you said it right. The only constant is change, right? And so if the only constant is change, learning is um is is what's what's important there. The, yeah, the corollary I'll add to that is because the only constant is change, if you get to a point where you're comfortable, that is a dangerous space. That means you, you have to do more. Is never get comfortable because change is already upon you, right? You know what's funny about that? Um, I I think too, and this is again philosophy mindset mindset, right? There is a lot of people who seek comfort, like that. That is that is like they're looking. I want to go get to a place where I'm comfortable, and um and I think what Andy's saying and and what he's incredibly right about because I've experienced it is when you get comfortable, you become obsolete. So you, and then, you know, there's a million things and you could watch any pop, any video podcast on YouTube, you know, you being uncomfortable is how you grow. Like exactly. and the analogy most people use is like in order to build muscle, you have to go through the pain and the uncomfortability because that's what grows the body. That's what grows muscle. So, um, so yeah, having that mindset of being, being uncomfortable and, and, um, and, and, Seeking that, I think, yeah, is, seek is, discomfort. <laughs> Even it's like it sounds odd, but you know, it's it's spot on. So, um, so we're gonna end there. Thank you, Andy, for being here today, and thank you everyone for tuning in, tuning in to the Urban Income Show. Thank uh, you I very hope, much. It's been absolutely. an honor. Thank you. I appreciate it. And everyone, I hope you found this episode informative and inspiring. Please remember to subscribe to our channel and follow us on social media. And we will see you on the next one. Thank you for watching and listening to this episode of the Urban Income Show. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube, follow us on social, and visit urbanincome.com.